0: Are you a Catholic woman who loves your faith, but finds certain aspects of living it out challenging and confusing? Are you a Catholic wife striving for a healthy, holy marriage and sex life, but don't know where to turn for straightforward, faithful, nitty-gritty answers to some of your deep and delicate questions? Are you a Catholic mom who's tired of the compare and despair game we all fall victim to on social media, and are just in need of some solidarity as you discover your own unique motherhood? Are you tired of the sunshine and rainbows pitch? Want to lean into the both and of the mess that happens when the truths of our faith get lived in a fallen world? Well, if that's where you find yourself, you're in the right place. Hi, I'm Emily Frazee, your host of the Total Wine Podcast. I'm here to dig deep and tackle topics that we are all curious about, but maybe too afraid to ask. I'll answer it all with honesty and humor because living the faithful life can make you either laugh or cry, and, well, laughing burns more calories. Welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Total Wine Podcast. Today is a special podcast recording to me. Um, I recorded a version of this, and then I was like, you know what, scrap it and start over. Um, because I was getting very intellectual, and I just want to speak to the speak from the heart. Um, and of course, I'm going to talk about Mother Mary, Blessed Mother, the Mother of God. And specifically, I'm going to give my testimony of of my relationship with her. Now, first of all, let me do some butt covering here from the the Um, (laughs) get-go. Just, you know, I'm going to play my hand open as I like to do. Um, First of all, I feel sort of bad recording my testimony now. Because for a long time, what I'm going to tell you was not my relationship with Mary. And it's always bugged me that people wait to tell their stories until there's like a nice bow on it. You know, they don't they tell you the messy parts, but in light of the beautiful things that come from it. And I think there's value to just telling the messy before it becomes nice and pretty. Um, however, I'm going to be able to tell my story where I'm going to share the messy parts and then I'm going to share with you, like, it's not quite as it used to be. It's better. It's beautiful. Um, but I don't, I don't share this part of the story to, I don't share the story now because I want to shame people for their relationships and so on and so forth. I think the reason why we share our stories is, is to give others hope. This is why we have the saints. This is why we have, you know, friends who are are different from us. Like we, we need inspiration. We need uh we need something to kind of call us higher, something that um keeps us looking upward. And my story is by no means done. No means done. Like, you know, I I tend to be a cynic in the spiritual realm still. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting over here telling my story and I'm like, well, you know, the other shoe may drop at some point and, um, I probably won't tell that story while I'm in the middle of it. Um, and I think the other reason why we do this is because we need space to process whenever we're in the middle of the mess. And it's really hard to put your story out there while you're in the middle of the mess because then other people are going to dictate the narrative of it. And so I think it is important, while while it does it does feel inauthentic when it comes out, it is important to kind of keep those messy bits to ourselves, not, you know, just out of a public forum while they're messy. Uh, not saying that you shouldn't talk about it, like talk about it with your spouse, talk about it with a close friend, talk about it with, you know, whoever is able to offer you space to help you process this. I'm not saying to isolate, but in terms of putting it on a more public stage, I think it is healthy to kind of keep our the messy parts of our stories as our own until we feel like we are in a place where we can tell them in a way that is, that is the narrative is not going to be dictated by others. Um, the other thing is, is essentially what I'm going to share is in a certain sense, would probably fall under the category of Um, private revelation or private conversation. Now, in Catholic terms, this is a very important classification of um, spirituality of the faith. Um, Because the saints, you know, whenever we we read the lives of the saints, we can hear like some of these saints, like they had visions, like they were mystics. As I was thinking about this episode, I was thinking of St. Anne Catherine Emmerich, who literally was given visions of the entire life of Christ and she wrote them down and this was of course all private revelation and um the church has like taken a look at at what she received and it's approved like you can buy these books you can read these books there's nothing in these books that she wrote in her visions of the life of Christ that is contradictory to sacred scriptures sacred tradition or um the magisterium of the church. There's nothing that's contradictory to it, but at the same time, because it's private private revelation, it's not something that Catholics have to accept in order to be Catholic, Um, just to stir a pot. Technically, I think, well, actually I could be wrong here, but I was also thinking of St. Faustina's Divine Mercy, right? It's, you don't have to have a devotion to Divine Mercy in order to be Catholic, now, what it does mean is, like, when you have these private this private revelation that goes through an approval process, the line that you walk is this. Number one, it's not something that you have to accept in order to be Catholic. But number two, it's also not something that you can say is not authentic, that is not approved by the church, right? You can't say that it's in contradiction to the faith if it's gone through the approval process. And I know that some people do that with divine mercy. Um, for example, now Anne Catherine Emmerich, like I've never read her books. I've learned about her as a person, and she just doesn't sound like somebody that I vibe with. So I just never read her books. Um, but I'm not going to go around and say, like, oh my gosh, these are horrible books because she was a very strange person, right? No, these are approved by the church. It, and basically, what it means is with private revelation, you can take it or leave it. If it's edifying to you, if it increases your spiritual life, great. If it doesn't, yeah, just put it to the side, you know? It's not something that you have to ascribe to. So, what I'm going to be talking about, like this is what personal testimony is. It's private revelation and it has not gone through an approval process. So, <laughs> it's it's not even now I'm sharing this, but I feel confident enough that I'm not going to share anything that is contradictory to tradition and scripture and the magisterium um but if somebody's like actually emily after listening to your story i'm hearing some big red flags let me know um i probably should sit down with a spiritual director at some point and run it up the flagpole but (laughs) who has time for that these days instead i'm just gonna blast this out to the public and have fun kids I when I was thinking about this so that today is the feast of Our Lady of the Rosary and this is the 11th year that I will be renewing my Marian consecration which was originated of course by St Louis de Montfort um and where I was 11 years ago and even before that in my relationship with Mary versus now Woo boy. I mean, (laughs) night and day difference. And so I just want to talk about where it started, the way it has changed, and most importantly, why I think it's changed. Because at the end of the day, like what I'm not, I'm not giving you my story so that you have a formula to do the same thing in your life. Like you're you. And you know, Guys, like, you know, ladies, guys, I, I have a fairly large amount, I mean, large for for what I feel like my audience should be, a large male audience, so hi guys, thanks for listening. Um, but those of you who have siblings, those of you who have more than one child, you know that you're, like, if you have more siblings, your parents' relationship with each one of you was different. And if you have more than one child, you know, like, you have a different relationship with each one of your children. It's the same thing with our heavenly parents, with God our Father, with Mary our Mother. Our relationship with our parents is going to look different between each one of us. So I'm not giving you a formula of, like, this is what your relationship could look like if you just do all the things that I do. Um, It's just, it's mostly just an invitation that if you do struggle in your relationship with Mary, it is possible to change that. And I say that with some hesitation because it's complicated. And I hope that what, what, what you get away from what I'm going to share is that your relationship can be complicated and it can take time to develop. Like these are hallmarks of relationships. Like If you think about relationships with people that you have who you love dearly, have they ever stayed the same? No. They're constantly changing. They're constantly morphing because we are constantly changing and growing and learning new things and relationships are not stagnant. And I think one of the challenges for us Catholics is that I know a lot of us kind of grew up. I think this was just kind of the, the, the idea at the time. This was just widespread. This was just what everybody did. Like, it was about the external posture. It was about looking reverent, not being reverent. And so a lot of us kind of have an external expression of our faith, but inside it's just very dry. And it's not personal. And I think we're starting to see that shift. We're starting to realize, you know, with things in kind of the mental health area, we're starting to learn about attunement and secure attachment and all these types of things. And it's like, I mean, this has to apply to our relationship with our heavenly parents too, right? We have to get to a point in our relationships where we look at God the Father and we think about a good, loving Father who attunes to us. And, and who we can be securely attached to. And that's kind of what I've undergone in my relationship with Mary. So without further ado, without further stalling, let's just dive in here. So I remember, you know, as, as a young kid, probably like all of you, I always heard everyone describing the Blessed Mother as just the most tender mother, the most gentle mother, the most perfect mother, right? Right. There was always this description of her as just, she could be your mother at any time, you know, even like if, if your mother couldn't be the mother that you needed, Mother Mary could step in and fill those gaps. I remember, always remember that image being painted. However, I'm a very visual person. I learn audially and visually, and what I heard about the Blessed Mother and what I saw of the Blessed Mother depicted primarily in art. You know, I, I'm hearing about this person who is—I didn't have the words for it at the time—but who is emotionally attuned, who is soft, who is who is tender and gentle. And I'm looking at all of these images, and she's she's stoic, she's aloof, she's removed. She has this serenity to her that doesn't make any sense to me. That doesn't feel touchable. It doesn't feel accessible. She feels cut off. She feels separate. She feels apart from. There's nothing about her that I relate to. I mean, for uh, you know, she was always depicted. She was always described as this very meek and meek, meaning mousy and and quiet and demure. And she's not going to cause any waves. And you know, we would describe it kind of in modern psychological terms as the good girl, right? Um, and I resonated with none of that. I like to be loud. I like to be slightly obnoxious. I like to be slightly off color in my humor. Um, I love clothes. Oh my gosh. Like, hello, everybody out here who's sanguine is like, yeah, girl, preach it. There was nothing about the Blessed Mother in the way that she was portrayed and described that I felt like I could resonate with and so i always felt like mary just kind of looked at me as like oh my poor unfortunate child when you grow up sweetie you'll be like me when you're spiritually mature you'll grow out of this obnoxiousness you know your loud laugh your you know like you'll you'll be more modest in your dress and by modest i mean like plain um And so I just felt like, ah, she's just this other thing that I don't, like, yeah, okay. So when I hear she's tender and she's gentle, it was, these were just words. And they were words I repeated because I wanted them to be true. But there was, there was no, like, it just, uh, it didn't make a dent. It was like, yeah, she's tender, she's gentle, she's serene, she's the mother of God. Of course she's all these things. She's the perfect mother. But they were just words. Empty, hollow words. And at the same time, I mean, if you're a Catholic girl, you grow up devoted to the Blessed Mother, whether you like it or not. Even if you don't really have a good relationship with her, if you don't really resonate with her, like you have a you have a devotion. Like you, this is just what we do, okay? Because she's a woman, and she's the ideal woman, and we're supposed to look like her, and we're supposed to be her, right? Like this is kind of the message that we were told. Um, and I so. I think it was like 12 or 13 years ago, a friend of mine who had done the Marian consecration sells it to me at one point like so. This is the first time, by the way, I had ever heard of Marian consecration. She's telling me about her experience of it, how it's just transformed her life. Um, Incidentally, it was really kind of interesting. Like She had been adopted and she... So she basically had, the way that she tells it, it was really, really beautiful and sweet. She has three mothers. Her biological mother is in her life, um, but she had three mothers. She had her adoptive mother, her biological mother, and the blessed mother, Mary. And whenever she needed kind of that motherly role that human mothers can sometimes fail at, because we're human, um, she kind of stepped in and and filled in in a beautiful way. And so that side of it sounded attractive, uh, but she pitches, she pitches... Marian consecration to me, like, so, which is how Louis de Montfort pitches it, by the way, that it is holy slavery. And I hear this and I'm like, you have got to be flipping kidding me. Like There ain't no way. Holy slavery? Like, who's signing up for this? This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Now, I've already said that I'm redoing my consecration for the 11th year. So eventually I signed up for it. But it was just the the first pitch was just like, you could not have presented this. I felt like Elizabeth getting Mr. Darcy's proposal. Like, you could not have presented this to me in any way that would have induced me to accept it. Right? Okay. So just using that terminology, like, hard pass. But she planted a seed. Now, there was more that she told me, but that holy slavery piece, I was like, what the flying flip? Like, no, that's not love. Slavery's not love. Um, now, granted, I don't think that that's the greatest word to use to describe this. That's what St. Louis de Montfort uses to describe the devotion that he formulated and that has gone through, you know, like popes have... Um, throughout the centuries have praised this devotion and the formula and all that. Like it's, it's legit. It is valid and it has produced wonderful fruit in my life. But yeah, the, the terminology, not great. Terrible marketing, sir. Terrible marketing. Um, <laughs> you're turning a lot of people off. Anyway, but she planted a seed and it sat with me for like a year. And I'll, I'll never forget. I don't know why this happened seriously, some of the best things that have happened in my life literally happened because I was like, I don't really have a good reason to say no. That's how I did. That's how I became an architecture major. That's how I went. I got, ended up in DC. That's how I went on a first date with my husband. It was just like, I can't really think of a good reason not to. So yeah, let's let's go for it. You know, (laughs) great. So I woke up one morning in the summer. Uh, This was after I had applied So a year later I had applied for the internship that I eventually took in DC and I was waiting for the answer and you know, waiting sucks. And I like, now that I'm looking back on it, I only waited a month for an answer, but it was the longest month. It just felt like a drug on forever. Like it was awful. And I wake up one morning and I'm like, screw it. I was like, I will do this consecration. It's been nagging me for a year let me look it up. Okay, so I look at the dates, and I just pick a random date. I was like, okay, October 7th, the Feast of the Holy Rosary. That sounds great. That's going to be my consecration date. Oh, look, and the start date is September 4th. We're here in the middle of August. I have enough time to plan, prepare. Okay, cool. Well, that afternoon, I go to new Mass, and as the priest is walking out, who is a friend who knew that I had applied to this internship, as he's walking out to start Mass, my phone rings, and it's the intern Coordinator, and I look at it for like a split second, and I was like, Nope, I'm taking this. I was like, So I made a beeline to the back of church. I answered the call. It turns out I got the internship. The start date for the internship was September 4th, the same day I would be starting my Marian consecration. And I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that that was a coincidence. It was like Mary was smiling on me and just saying like, yes, like this is my affirmation that this is what you're supposed to do. This is where you're supposed to go. And it was wonderful. And so it's even, it's it's great because every year, September 4th, it's it's like a double anniversary. It's the anniversary of when I started my internship and this whole new chapter of my life opened up that is just so beautiful and so full. And it's when I began this special devotion to the Blessed Mother. Um, So I make my consecration on October 7th. Now, when I did the consecration that year, I was a bit... This is overused, and maybe it's poor to use it in this context, but I was a bit of a Nazi about it. I was very rigid. Now, if you've ever done the consecration according to the formula that Louis de Montfort put out, where it's 33 days, but like you do it according to his 33 days, I'm not talking about um, the, the one that I just did, which is like, what is it? 33 days to like, uh, beautiful love that father Galloway, not Galloway. I am doing a great job of describing all these things. I should have brought all these books up here. It was like basically pendulum swing, like the, um, the thirty-three day consecration that's more popular right now is like you literally just read two pages a day. Louis de Montfort was like, you read these expert excerpts of scripture, and you read these experts from his books, and then you read these prayers, and you have to do a daily rosary. And da 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 da. It was so intense, and I was like, I have to do every single thing every single day, or else Mary is not gonna love me. It was very. It was still the same relationship that I had had with the Blessed Mother before. It was contractual. There was not a relationship. It was, if I do all of these things, then I will receive her love. And I think that's the way that a lot of us kind of experience our relationship with God or the Blessed Mother. It is, you know, I have to do these prayers properly And if I don't, then I'm bad. And, and, you know, all this type of thing. And it's like, you're just human. You're just human and you just mess up. And I think that we forget that our humanity is a beautiful opportunity for humility. When we fail and Uh, Father Jacques-Philippe talks about this a lot, you know, I'm not saying to, you know, don't worry about your sins in the sense of like, ah, they'll be fine, like whatever. No, no, no. Go to confession. If you've sinned, go to confession. But don't fret about it. Take your sins as this reminder. Take your failings, your weaknesses, which are not the same thing, by the way, as a reminder that, oh, yeah, I'm human. I can't do this without help. This This is an opportunity for humility which is not comfortable. It's not fun. It's not great to have to admit like, yeah, you know, I screw up sometimes, even though I know the right thing to do. Am I going to do it? No, but hey, you're in good company. St. Paul talked about this, right? I know the right thing to do, and I still choose the wrong thing. I forget chapter and verse and scripture. I'm Catholic. Come on. What do you want? But it was, but I was very rigid about it and it continued that way. And then when I found out about other formulas I was like, oh, they're not as good as Louis de Montfort's because his is super intense. Therefore, I'm more holy when I do this one. And I hated the one that was just the read two pages a day. I was like, oh, that's for spiritual pansies. You guys just can't handle the the big guns that Louis de Montfort pulls out for you, y'all. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? Like, And then you wonder why, like, oh, why didn't she have an idea of Mary as a tender mother? It's like, huh we figured out this little puzzle. But years later, it was actually years later, I was able to do the more simple consecration, because at this point, at that point, I was a mother of three or two. Uh, I was a mother of two toddlers, and I needed something simple. It was just like, I don't have the time If I give myself all of these things that I have to do every single day, I know I ain't going to do it. Hello, I have two kids, and they were both NFB surprises, so God, that's your fault. (laughs) You want me to pray more? Well, it's not my reality right now, and that's because you decided that I needed these kids, so we're just going to roll with it. So I finally did that one, and it was actually a mark of huge spiritual maturity for me that I was able to do the simplified form of the consecration. And I actually got way more out of it, which was really, I I thought that was really cool. It's like, it's, it's not how much you do, how much you pray. It's, are you entering into it with your whole self? Are you not, are you taking down the facade and able to enter into a relationship that is vulnerable and intimate? And the simple fact of the matter was, like, it was not that way for me. But when I did that, the simple consecration, what I'm going to call the simple consecration, because y'all, I'm literally, I'm sitting here. It is sitting downstairs. I'm not walking downstairs to grab the book. I just wrapped it up today, and I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, that year, I asked Mary, I was like, I want, I want to experience a deeper relationship with you. This was nine years into doing the consecration. This was my ninth year renewing it. So two years ago. I want to I want to enter a deeper relationship with you. Now if you're doing the math, I'm doing the math. I was this was right before I was accepting that I was dealing with secondary infertility. And this was three months before three and a half months before I would find out I was pregnant with our third child. So this was like, it's like Mary knew that I was about to need a mother like I had never needed a mother in my life. And at this point in time, I had been saying the Seven Sorrows Rosary which I'll never forget it. I had a dream. I had a dream that I was saying the seven sorrows rosary. I had never said it before in my life. I think I had heard some people talk about it, but I had no idea how it was said. And in a dream, I was saying it. And I woke up that morning and I was like, okay, I knew a rosary maker who had it. And I was like, I have a commission for you, let's go. And I had her make me the seven sorrows rosary. And so I had been praying the seven sorrows rosary for about a year, actually a year and a half before I found out that I was, before my husband and I even started trying to have a baby and I entered into a year and a half of secondary infertility, the reason why that's significant is devotion to the seven sorrows of Mary and the seven sorrows rosary is a common devotion of women who struggle with infertility. At the time, I knew none of this. But I would come to find out and it was just this incredible affirmation of like, Mary sees me and she sees what I need before I even know I need it. And that's something that we saw in scripture, right? Whenever we look at the wedding at Cana, Mary is the, Mary is the one who notices that they run out of wine and she brings that need before her son. That's exactly what she does with us. She sees our need before we even realize we need it. And she goes to her son and she says, they have no wine. Not, son, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. No, 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 no. I'm a mom and I love my children and I see what they need. And, son of mine, you have a job here. She is this connection between us and her son. And that's what she was doing for me. She was giving me this affirmation of her presence just this gift of knowing that she saw me before I even knew that I needed it. So later that year, I do my ninth year of um, preparing for my reconsecration. And I had asked her, I wanted to, I told her I wanted a deeper relationship with her. Well, in that time, you know, I had been going to therapy. And one of the things that came up for me very strongly was how, um, during my second pregnancy, I felt abandoned by God. And this was something that had been coming up in therapy. And I was like, okay, I've gotten angry at God before, but maybe this is something that I need to revisit now that I have new tools and I'm looking at this experience in a different way. Maybe it would actually be helpful for me to go back, go back to that place and like get angry at God again and and, and perhaps reveal something new and receive something new. So I went to church. Um, those of you who know me in real life who listen, um, yes, this is the church that I currently attend and this is if you, you know this is the statue at the back of our church, the Pieta statue. There's a beautiful wooden sculpture of a Pieta. and I went in to get angry at God. but for some reason I was drawn to this statue. I was like, oh, let me, let, me, let me let me go over there. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go pray before this statue. And I remember looking up at her, at her eyes, and just seeing, first of all, from an artistic perspective, I was just super impressed with the artist for capturing um, such emotion in her eyes. And I was just like, wow, like, that's not an easy feat when you're sculpting in wood. So just from an like from an artistic perspective, I was like, wow, well done, artist, well done. But the longer I looked, I just saw how, how broken she was for the son she was holding in her arms. Rightfully so. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, nowhere had this been on my mind. This had never been something I even thought as a possibility. All I could feel was rage at her. Because as I looked at her tenderness, as I looked at at the, the brokenness that she felt for her son, I saw myself, not in her eyes, but in the broken body of her son. Because through my birth experiences, through my fertility story, like, I was like, I have been there and I have never felt your tenderness. I have, never, I have never felt you hold me and look at me with the tenderness with which you're looking at your son. But I've, I, I know what it's like to feel broken and beaten. And, and, and you're my mother. Where were you? I started yelling at her in my head. Where were you in these moments in my life when I needed your tenderness? Where were you? You weren't there. And I got so angry at her. And I sobbed, just body shaking sobs as I yelled at her. Now, I I was absolutely expecting to just be smote with lightning because you don't talk to the mother of God that way, at least not the way I was raised. Like Like, nobody, like, no, she is gentle. She is tender. Like, we love her. That is it. Full stop. And here I am just ripping her up one side and down the other, questioning her. And the most beautiful thing happened. She said nothing. She said absolutely nothing. What she did as the most perfect, gentle, tender mother, she allowed me to be angry at her. She was not afraid of my anger. She was not overwhelmed, surprised. She just said, "Yes, your anger is welcome here." She said nothing. I just I felt it. I felt it. That she just allowed me to be angry in her presence. And she was there. She didn't run away. She didn't push me away. In my head, I'm telling myself like, "Yeah, but you know what? You're a sinner. You kind of deserve to not experience her tenderness. But her behavior proved the opposite. Because that's the lie that we tell ourselves. That's the lie that Satan puts in our minds, is that it, because we are sinners, we don't deserve the love of God, right? And that is precisely, that, that's slapping Jesus on the cross in the face. Because it's the whole reason why he was up there. It's because because of our sin that we have a right to God's mercy and forgiveness. We don't need mercy and forgiveness if we're not sinners. But we have a right to it because we are sinners. She was not afraid of me. She didn't push me away. She didn't tell me I deserved it. She just received me. And she was there with me and for the first time. And she looked on me with that tenderness that I saw in her eyes looking at her son. And that's the moment when my relationship with Mary changed. When I look back on my life, when I look back on my relationship with her, that was the moment it changed. That was the moment I started to have a relationship with her. It was not when I prayed a daily rosary. It was not when I did the consecration perfectly. It was not when I talked to other people about her in praiseworthy terms. No, it was when I went to her and I did not hold back. It, was when, it, it wasn't that I was angry. It was that I was vulnerable and I was honest. I used to do a lot of prayer journaling and I would write to Mary and it was it was so disconnected. It was like the type of thing that it, it, what I wrote was the things that I thought I should write. The things that I thought Mary wanted to hear. And as long as I prayed in that way, as long as I spoke to her in that way, there was no possibility for a relationship because there was no intimacy. There was no vulnerability. There was no honesty. It was, I think this is what you want to hear, and that if I don't say it in this way, you will be offended. And what I learned was, she's a mom. She's the best mom. And the best moms know how to make space for their children's emotions. They're not afraid of these emotions. They're just, yep. You can be angry. You can be angry. I will sit with you because I see that your your anger, the, the, the pain of not feeling my tenderness, your body is literally shaking right now. You're sobbing. You're so overwhelmed. What you need right now is my presence. You need my attunement. And you have it. That's what she gave me. And that's the moment it all changed. I'm not recommending that you go and you get angry at Mary. <laughs> I'm not like, all right, everybody, let's go have shout and fest at the mother of God. Nothing can go wrong here. But I, I took it as something that was okay because it was not something that was premeditated. I had never heard of anybody getting mad at Mary. I had never heard, I, I had never felt angry at Mary. I had never admitted being angry at Mary because what I had been told is that she is this serene, this meek person. I am a lot of emotion. The last thing I want to do is go to like a meek person and just like give them my full self, right? I'm a lot. (laughs) I would overwhelm you. And the opposite happened in her meekness and in her tenderness. My overwhelm was perfectly welcome. It was incredible. So as I continue through this process of therapy and I start to, these these final months, like I start to realize like, nope, I'm dealing with secondary infertility. Like that's what's happening. Like I finally started to admit it. It took me forever to admit it um, because it was just like, no, like I know so many women who like this has been like their deal for years. Um, so I don't really have a right to speak into this space to, to own this as my experience because like I haven't been dealing with it for that long. Like what the heck? Um, which of course, like we all know, it doesn't matter how long or short your experience is. It's like, it's your experience. And like, if it's hard, you process it. It's not compared. There's nothing to compare. Um, but it was still weird. It was still something that I struggled with. um, one day, I received a call from one of my doctor's office. It was, it was a very innocuous call, but I remember it vividly. They just wanted to transfer medical records. And one of the things that I was dealing with in therapy was just how um, traumatic it had been to, be, to feel like I was erased by my doctors and nurses in my first two birth experiences. And so on this call, I kind of got like that same vibe. Well, I tried to get off the call as soon as possible because I started having like an anxiety attack. Like, my heart rate shot up, my, my, my breathing was very shallow and very fast, and I just, you know, my whole body, I was just, it was, it was bad. Over a call about transferring medical records. Like, how ridiculous. It just felt so stupid. And I was about, I needed to make dinner, but I was in, I was not in an emotional state to be able to do that. So, I had a big old bottle of wine on the counter uncorked that sucker. And I was like, I want to, I poured myself a heaping glass. I was like, I just want to get blind drunk because I'm so tired of hurting. I'm so tired of, of this traumatic experience that like, I'm still having a hard time working through. I was so frustrated and I was just so, I was just done. I was like, and I said in my head, I want to get blind drunk so I can just forget for a little bit. And I poured this very, very tall glass of wine, and I go, and I sit down at my breakfast room table, and I look up at the other side, and I can see, and I, I I, I don't know how to describe this in a way that makes sense, but I saw Mary. I saw her. And she was looking at me with just beaming eyes. And her smile, she had this smile that was just kind of this knowing smile that, that she saw me and she loved me. And it, it was kind of a cheeky smile. It was a very cheeky smile. It was just kind of like this knowing like, oh, yep, there's my girl. There's my girl. I know she's a little crazy and wild, but there's my girl. And I'm sitting there with this big old glass of wine and I'm just looking at her like, yeah, you know what I wanted to do. I wanted to get blind drunk. And that's a, you know, that's a deadly sin. So hi. (laughs) But there was no judgment. None. There was just her presence again. Just, I'm here. And it's okay. And I know what you were about to do but I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here to be here. It was incredible. What I needed was I, I needed my mother to come and attune to me and she did. I needed to just be this broken child who was so fed up and so done with this stupid trauma business and like dealing and like having to deal with a, like an anxiety attack over a call about transferring medical records. Like, my, am I that fragile? This is so ridiculous. And she just let me sob. And she came and she hugged me and she held my hand. And she just sat with me. She didn't say much. But what she said, I'll never forget. At one point, you know, I was just feeling like I was just telling her, like, I'm just so tired of being so weak. I'm so tired of being so weak. And she said, my son was strong when he looked weak. And I knew what she was talking about. Of course, she was talking about him carrying his cross when he looked his weakest, when he looked defeated. And what she was telling me was, is that me in this moment feeling defeated, feeling so weak, feeling like I can't control anything, that there is a strength in this to be able to admit that I am struggling and that I need help. And I could feel the urgency of of the evening, you know, it was like, I think it was rounding on like 6.30 and like the kids needed to eat, but they were watching a movie and they were perfectly satisfied and I'm just feeling kind of the intensity or the the urgency of the moment and of course that's, you know, great for emotional regulation. And (laughs) she just looked at me and she said, Emily, the kids are fine. And because of her attunement and her presence, I was able to calm down, I was able to kind of regain... to to kind of work through this period. I didn't get blind drunk and I made dinner and everything was fine for that evening. (laughs) And it was incredible. And since then she's come back at different periods um, and just offered her motherly tenderness and her motherly care in a way that I never experienced before. More recently, um, she she realized that I was maybe placing too much emphasis on her. I didn't care. I was like, this is great. I am loving this. Like, my relationship with your son, not great. We've gone through some rough stuff. My relationship with God the Father, like, phew, not going there. Okay. I felt abandoned by him. Like, you know, like, I just, nah. Okay. Like, they've let me down. But you, mama, you're here. You have given me what I needed. And this is where I think like a lot of Protestants are like, yeah, you Catholics are nuts. Like y'all pray to Mary and all this type of stuff. And like, y'all put so much more emphasis on her than you do on Jesus. And let me tell you something. If you, this is the lesson I've learned. <laughs> if you try to put more emphasis and to give more love to the Blessed Mother than you do to Jesus or God the Father or the Holy Spirit, she will not stand for it. She won't let it happen. So right before I was about to have my third child, I'm, of course, terrified of the whole birth thing and the fact that things are unknown. I'm shooting for a VBAC, but I might end up with another C-section. I'm just terrified of this prospect. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back to church and I'm going to go back to that statue where all of this started. Like, let's go, Mary. Let's have a conversation. Give me what I need. And it was a Wednesday morning. And I go to church and it looks like There's a wedding happening in the main church. Now, part of me was like, well done, bride and groom, for getting those discounts on a Wednesday morning. But who gets married on a Wednesday morning? What is happening? Anyway, so I couldn't go to the statue at the back of church. Because, first of all, I didn't want to be a distraction. Second of all, like, I would have been distracted by the goings on. So right behind the main church is a chapel. So I go in the chapel. I'm like, well, you know, it's not as good as the statue, but it'll do in a pinch, whatever. So I go into the chapel, and there's Jesus exposed in the monstrance. And I walked in, and I was like, oh, hi, Jesus. I did not expect to see you here. I came to talk to your mom, but hi, it's great to see you. I was literally that awkward. Literally told him, I came here to see your mom. I'm sure he loved that. Actually, he probably did because he is the God of truth, and I was being honest. Anyway, I knew what Mary did. She had gotten me to a point where she was giving me this experience of love and tenderness and attunement. And she was like, All right, sweetie, now it's time for you and my son to go make up, to go start to rebuild your relationship. I know you have felt abandoned and hurt in the past. But it was just, like, the most gentle kind of, like, not deceitful, but, like, you know? Like, you just felt like there was, there was a little bit of mischief in how she brought me and Jesus back together. Like, who gets married on a Wednesday? What is this? Anyway, so I sat there in church, and I, I had a conversation with Jesus that I very much needed to have. And he spoke to me as well. And gave me some very beautiful things that I needed for the birth not things I wanted to hear because he's a man you know there's he's given me some things in the past and I'm just like yeah no and people can go on and on about how God might be a woman but it's like nope. I have it on good authority from your own lips that you are a man because no man would oversimplify what I'm going through like you just did (laughs) and I knew that's what she was doing Now, sometime later, um, we were having another conversation. I was having another rough time and I wanted to turn to her, but it was difficult because there was things in my relationship with Mary, it, it wasn't complete. I was looking for something from her and and I wasn't getting fully, fully satisfied. And so it was hard to turn to her because, you know, while what she was giving me was beautiful, it wasn't enough. And so I started to kind of turn away. There was one time where I was going through a difficult time and she she came to me again and I kind of pushed her away. And she came back to me later and she reminded me that she is a creature. She is finite. She cannot fulfill all of the longings of my heart because she's not God. There will always be something in my relationship with her that is missing because she's finite. She has given me so much. And and what she was doing was she was reminding me that was kind of the final pointing. So she's helping me reestablish my relationship with her son, with Christ. And this was the moment where she was like, and now it's time to go back to God, your father. But the the gentleness and the tenderness that that she that she gave me to kind of lead me on that path and there was a little bit of like a a push, but not in a way that was dismissive of what I was experiencing and not in a way that was like, you know, abandoning. Like, okay, I've done my job now, move on. Bye. No, it was still very much no, I am still here. But understand that I am a creature and I am finite. And this unlocked something for me, so huge, because what I realized was this is where most women that I know kind of lose it with Mary. Not lose it, but like lose a connection with her. Because the way that we've been pitched Mary our whole lives is that we need to become her. We need to literally be her. And every single woman who has the slightest drop of just fiery passion in her hears that and shuts down. But that's not what she is. She is the model of women in the fact that she perfectly expressed the virtues, right? She, she it was the perfect yes to God. It was so perfect that God literally became physically incarnate inside of her, right? We're supposed to emulate that in spiritual terms. But we will never be her. We were not created to be her. She is our model, but, but she's not a model in the sense that we have to suppress and repress the parts of us that we think don't look like her. Because those are the parts that are uniquely us and beautifully us. She's a creature. She's finite. And this is, at this time, I remembered the quote from from St. Edith Stein. And this to me is the secret of Mary. The woman is fashioned as a shelter in which other souls may unfold. That's who Mary is. She is that woman. She is that shelter within which we can become precisely who God made us to be. She is the one, and the reason why is because she is the one who brings us so directly, so perfectly to Jesus because she knows us like a mother knows her children. This is what people are talking about. And the reason why I can say this is because I've finally experienced it. These are no longer just empty words. They actually mean something to me now. And maybe you're in a place where they still don't mean anything to you. And that's okay. And I'm not saying that they should. But this is what is meant, is that she, she's not, it's not like we're literally all supposed to transform ourselves into a first century Middle Eastern woman, because that's not who we are. I'm an American woman. I'm a Cajun from South Louisiana, and I'm fiery, and I love clothes, and I love pearls, and I love like fancy jewelry, and. but I'm of a particular time and place that's very different from the one that Mary was from. And there's nothing wrong with me being of this time and this place. What matters is, is that I entrust myself to Mary. Because if you think about it, you know, everybody's like, oh, why why all this emphasis on Mary? Listen, she's a Jewish mama, okay? She's a Jewish mama. Who is going to talk up her son better than a Jewish mama? Okay? Hello? Come on. Like, who is the better spokesperson for her son than a Jewish mama? If you want to get to know Jesus, if you want to be led to Jesus in the way that, like, is best, like, is best for you, the best timing, and and if you want to, like, have a very deep relationship with Christ, with her son, she's going to do the best. She's going to do the best at connecting you two. I know this from personal experience. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of having a relationship with Mary. It's not so that Mary is the end. It says, so Mary is the means, the easiest means. She brought me back to her son at precisely the right time. And what Christ gave to me when she did, when she orchestrated it, was so profoundly, precisely what I needed at that time. And it's not that Jesus needs her in order to reach us. It's that we need her. It's not that Jesus or God the Father had abandoned me. It's that I felt abandoned. And I had to reconcile these things. And so I couldn't go directly back to them because there was too much hurt. There was too much baggage. There was too much pain. So, all right, we'll send you mama. We'll let her take care of this. She'll lead you back whenever it's the right time. And it was just hysterical because, y'all, really, I tried. I was like, Mary, you know what? You're kind of it for me. And she was like, no, no. (laughs) No, no, sweetie. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. If you think about some of the best relationships that you've had with people, the ones that just really exemplify love, Every single one of those relationships that you have give you a glimpse into the love of God the Father. When we love, we are drawing from the love of God the Father. There's nowhere else where we can get this love except from him. And so we're modeling that love. We're showing that love to others. This is why it's like the, the commandment of Christ to love one another is so important because we project our experience of love onto love himself. And that's what Mary can give us. As one who loved God perfectly during her life and, and who received that love so perfectly that it was incarnated physically within her, she can give us an experience of that love That we can then take to God the Father. If we're struggling in our relationship with God in any way, we have recourse to Mary. We absolutely do. And we don't have to worry about getting stuck there. She will not allow for it. She won't have it. And if you start to get stuck, she's going to be like, no, no, sweetie, there's going to be a wedding in the church. Get your butt in front of my son. Probably will be a little different in your life, but some kind of way. You'll get the proverbial wedding that gets you butt in front of Jesus. So I've yammered on for an hour. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to make this 30 minutes. And nope, it's an hour. Okay. Anyway, I'm doing this episode because I love my mama. I did not always have the relationship that I have with her. But i'm so grateful for the one that i have with her now i'm so grateful that she's able to meet me where i am and i just want to share that for whatever it's worth not to be like oh look at me i'm so holy i'm so happy no like we've even now like i'm hitting some roadblocks like last month was like for some reason Whenever September and October roll around, I'm always like, oh, this is the month of Our Lady of Sorrows and the month of the rosary. I'm going to say the Seven Sorrows Rosary every day in September and the actual rosary every day in October. You want to know how often that happened? (laughs) Y'all, I still suck at this. Even though I have received so much love, I have received so much from her, I'm still human and I still mess it up. I still mess it up. But that's, that's human relationships. The trick is is not, is is not to stop trying. I will close out on this. I will close out on just a word on the rosary because I'm a mom with three kids. And I know I have a lot of mom listeners and maybe a lot of dad listeners. And everybody's like, oh, we need to make sure that our kids love the rosary. So we're going to make sure that we say a family rosary every single night. And you better sit here or all hell will rain down upon you. Yeah, that's going to make them love it. I have never said a family rosary with my children. We've never done that because I know my kids. I know they can't sit still and I don't want to have a fight. Maybe I should. Maybe I should harangue them and like maybe my husband and I should just sit there and say the rosary and just let chaos rule where it may. And then they'll catch on eventually. I know some of you guys do that and it's great. I'm not denigrating it at all. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying we don't. When I do say my daily rosary, it's in the morning. During the morning chaos, my kids are, you know, My husband's getting my son ready for school. I'm trying to get my head on straight for the day, um, which can be hit and miss. But it's chaos. I'm getting interrupted. My daughter will come sit down. Oh, mommy, you saying your beads? Yes, honey. Oh, do you you need me to be quiet? Yes, honey. Oh, but mommy, I have so many questions. Okay, sweetie. And in those moments, I tried to remember, you know, what Mother Teresa did when she was saying her rosary and she got interrupted, that she just treated it as turning from Jesus to Jesus. And I was like, okay, my, my, I know Jesus is within my daughter, and I can meet him there, too, and it's okay. I have not said a quiet, serene rosary in years. Actually, I take that back. When I go to confession, I will say a rosary before confession, because I'm like, Mama, I need some help. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> come in there with me with your son. Okay. Like, let's go in, let's do this together. Okay. Um, and it's great, by the way, that's a wonderful thing to do. Um, that's the only time I get it. But if I'm going to say a daily rosary, it's in the midst of chaos. And let me tell you the days where I don't say rosaries versus the days when I do big difference. Big difference. Even when it's chaotic, even when I am literally just going through the motions and, like, I am not getting anything out of this rosary. I'm not even, like, I'm like, okay, yes, all right, scourging at the pillar. I'm getting scourged with questions. Cool. Okay. Um, (laughs) That's about it. That's about all I'm getting out of this. But for some reason, I I can't explain it. It's just, it's in the supernatural order of grace, I suppose. A bad rosary is better than no rosary. I do know that. And I still don't say it every day. <laughs> so take that for what it's worth. I'm not saying that, you know, you need to you need to start saying the rosary. I opened up a cue box on Instagram today for people to just kind of share like their um their difficult relationship with the rosary. And um I know that this is not an easy or uncomplicated thing. And I'm not saying that like you're a better Catholic if you say the rosary, you're a horrible Catholic if you don't say the rosary. I don't know. I think the rosary helps i think the rosary is edifying i don't think that you're going to hell if you don't say it plenty other people go to hell for plenty other reasons i think not passing judgment but anyway just wanted to add that in there as well that as my relationship has grown with mary as it has become more tender my relationship with the rosary has changed too Sometimes I say it and it's because I want to and because it's beautiful. And sometimes, sometimes I do get lost in the rigidity of it. In the feeling of like, oh, a perfect rosary is not a good rosary. Or a not perfect rosary is not a good rosary. Um, or if I didn't get out anything out of the rosary, why do I even say it? I still absolutely deal with that. Um, again, we're human. These things are, they're ongoing they're changing. I guess the, the point of this is, is give yourself the hope, give yourself the option to grow, to change, to say the rosary faithfully one month and to completely fall off the wagon the next to try to seek that tenderness and gentleness from our wonderful Heavenly Mother and maybe not receive it for nine years or more. Things happen at the time when they are supposed to, not necessarily at the time that we want. And it's that reality that can be very hard to deal with and can, can certainly harden us to... It can harden our relationship with God, certainly, because we're human. And we need that tactile, that tangible experience of love. But even that can be a reminder of our humanity. And it can be a reminder of our need to be humble. That we are so human that we do need those tangible reminders of the graces that we receive, of the graces that... God our Father, Christ our brother, and Mary our mother want to bestow on us. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I hope it brightened your day and that you laughed as much as you learned. If you're enjoying the show and want more people to learn about what I share here, please leave a review and even share with a friend. I hope to join me again soon. Until then!